Hebrews chapter 9. Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared, the first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded in the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties, but into the second only the high priest goes and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of the blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered, not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. 
but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Austin. And I'm Alicia. And we are the Darrows. This is the Darrows podcast where we help families navigate scripture to live godly lives by discussing all things family and faith unfiltered. In this episode, we are in the third part of our Freedom in Christ season, and we went through Hebrews chapter 9. Yes, and not going to go into detail about drinking, but I will say we are drinking a great tea today. Yeah, it's called ginger tea with probiotics. And it makes your tummy feel good and makes your taste buds feel good. We decided to go through Hebrews 9 because we felt it was a perfect explanation of the old covenant and the transition to the new covenant. We are doing something completely different with this episode. We believe the scriptures best describe the life Christ wants us to live and gives us the instruction we need. We also believe that as we understand the word at a deeper level, the more we know God and the deeper our worship to him is, the closer we are to God. Then we can help each other and our children love God more. Therefore, we are going to explain this passage verse by verse. Before we start explaining, let us give you some background on Hebrews so that you can understand the context of the book. The author of Hebrews is unknown. Uh, The book of Hebrews was originally entitled to the Hebrews and therefore was written to the Hebrew Jewish by blood Christians. According to biblehistory.com or bible-history.com, the book of Hebrews unveils Christ as the one who is greater than each of the types and shadows that were pointed to him in the old covenant. Okay, let's get into breaking the passage down verse by verse. I do want to say though, if you have the ability, please pull out a Bible because um, we're not going to read each verse over and over again. Uh, We're going to just start to exegete um, verse by verse. So if you have the ability to pull up the scripture right now, please do. If you're driving, um, we encourage you to look back at it later, take some of the stuff we're saying, pause it, do whatever you got to do. Um, We want to help you understand these things, but um, we don't want to spend too much time reading every single verse over and over again uh, to get the point across. So here we go. Let's jump into it. All right. So let's look at verse one first, and I'm just going to break down some of these words that or um, phrases that are talked about. So what is the first covenant? This uh, first covenant is referring to the old covenant, which we talked heavily about in our last episode. So I suggest you check that out. The next part is regulations for worship and for the earthly place of holiness. And the regulations for worship were the laws given to the people through Moses on how to fulfill their part in the covenant that God made with them. In the earthly place of holiness, um, those um, regulations were instructions given to Moses on how to build the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant. Now in verse 2, The tent refers to the part of the tabernacle, which was all built by Bezalel and Oholiab, 
forgive me if I said that wrong, which was which those men were appointed by God in Exodus 31 verses 1 through 11. And this tabernacle is a model or um, so is what the temple of Solomon was also built off of much later. And so just to make that um, distinction, the tent and the tabernacle that is being talked about in this verse is the one built in Moses' time. And the first section refers to the holy place and only the priest could enter in here. And this is where they did their daily rituals. And just so you guys know, the word holy means set apart. Now the lampstand, which other translations refer to this as the candlestick, this is the only light that was in the holy place and it burned continually. And you can see that in Exodus 27 verses 20 through 21. And Aaron and his sons, which were the priests, they tended to this daily to keep it lit. Now the table for the bread of the presence, which is also referred to as the showbread in other translations. According to God questions, this bread of the presence was one made of fine flour, two baked in 12 loaves, three arranged in two piles of six loaves on each each on a table of pure gold, covered in frankincense, and served as a memorial food offering to the Lord. The bread was only allowed to be eaten by Aaron and his sons, which again are the priests of this time, and it was set out every Sabbath day. And you can see this referred to in Leviticus chapter 24 and Exodus chapter 25 verse 30. Now, looking at verse 3, the most holy place, which is also known as the Holy of Holies, is a place where only the priest could enter in. And this is where he made a yearly sacrifice for the atonement of the people only after he sacrificed for his own sins. In verse 4, the golden altar of incense um, was just outside of the veil, which this veil was located between the first section and the second section. So it separated the holy place and the most holy place or the holy of holies. And so this golden altar of incense sat right outside of the veil. And the word having here means echo or um, is the Greek word echo. And this altar of incense was closely tied in its function to the most holy holy place. Now, as its incense burned, the smoke drifted into the most holy place. And you can see this incense burning in different parts of scripture referred to as the prayers of the saints. You can see that in Revelations 5.8. Um, you may have heard like the phrase, let our incense burn before you. Um, let our prayers go up like the incense. And so as the incense burned and from the holy place going into the holy of holies, it represents our prayers reaching God. Um, Aaron's staff budding. You can read about that in the number and I'm um, sorry, numbers chapter 17. This talk is talking about when, um, Aaron was chosen 
to be the priesthood. And um, his staff actually budded the flowers of the almond to show that his line were the chosen people um, to be the, the, the priesthood at this time. Now in verse 5, the cherubim refer to the angelic beings, beings that are seen to be involved in worship and praise of God. They are seen throughout the scripture, starting as early as Genesis, when Adam and Eve were cast out of Eden. And you can see that in Genesis 3.24, they, um, the cherubim guarded the garden there. Um, they served to magnify the holiness and the power of God. And if you want to know more, there's a Got Question article that we linked in the show notes that talks about them. And there's other parts of scripture that you can read to learn more about them, such as Ezekiel chapters 1 through 10 and chapter 4 of Revelation. And these chapters, again, they describe them in more detail. Now, the mercy seat referenced here in verse 5 is translated from the Greek word helastrion, meaning that which makes expiation, which is the act of extinguishing the guilt incurred by something, or it also means propitiation, which is appeasement. Now, this was the lid of the Ark of the Covenant and was where God was supposed to be seated, dispensing out mercy to man when blood was sprinkled on it for atonement. This seat covered the tablets of the law and was a representation of God's covering of the sins of the people through the blood of an animal sacrificed and sprinkled on it. Now, this is significant because Paul in Romans speaks of Jesus as the propitiation of our sin, meaning he is the mercy seat. Christ covers all of our sins by the shedding of his own blood. As believers, we also continue to turn to Christ when we sin because he continues to be the propitiation of our sin. And you can see that in 1 John 2, 1 and First uh, John 4, 10. As we jump into verse 6, you see that daily the priests would go into this first tabernacle, uh, which is the, holies, uh, the holy place, um, to do their rituals uh, like the burning of the incense at the morning and evening sacrifice, uh, dressing the lambs, removing the old showbread and laying on the new and sprinkling the blood of the sin offerings before the veil. Um, and that's what's talked about in this verse. And then in verse seven, only once a year, the high priest would be allowed to go into the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was located. He was not able to go in without the blood of the sacrifice. And if he broke any of these rules, he would be struck down. Because of this, it is important to know that the high priest was not excited to go into this place every year. Um, it wasn't this thing of where the high, you know, you, you may think like, oh man, like this high priest is, you know, he gets to go into the Holy of Holies, like, you know, lucky him. And it's like, well, when I explain to you this next part, you'll understand why it's, if anything, it's not so lucky to be the one that has to go in there. Um, because, um, they would have to wear a belt that had bells on them as well as a rope that led out of the Holy of Holies. Uh, this is because of, if God had struck him down, uh, due to him um, breaking even a single one of uh, the regulations that God had put in place uh, for this uh, ceremony, um, 
If God had struck him down, those outside of that place, the priests who are in the holy, uh, the holy place, would hear a loud ring and a bang and know he was dead. And then um, they could use the rope to drag him out of there so that they don't have to go in there since they weren't allowed to. Um, this sacrifice happened once a year and was for all the sins of ignorance. Uh, these are the regular day-to-day uh, things that are, as humans, uh, we commit without even knowing it. This is um, was a day where at the end, all of the people of God could know that all the sins of the last year were covered, including uh, that of the high priest. Now, in verse 8, uh, the holy places were not accessible to anyone who followed uh, not accessible just to anyone who followed God. The Holy Spirit shows through the scripture above uh, and throughout the Old Testament that as long as the physical tabernacle is still standing, the holy places are not yet opened up to all believers. The holy place in this verse refers to the overall dwelling place of God and not specific to the first tabernacle or the one that was still standing when this was written. Both temples, no matter the ceremonies and sacrifices, were unable to make the way of holiness plain or the way of favor with God possible. Uh, which, I, if you're curious, I did get uh, a, a, a really a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, we actually pulled from um, Adam Clark's commentary. Um, great commentary on this on this book or on this chapter specifically. Um, so check it out uh, for reference. But um, in verse nine, uh, the mosaic sacrificial system was unable to bring sanctification of the soul or the fullness of God's peace into the heart of the believer. This old covenant was contrasting the new covenant we speak about uh, that was able to do these two things, which was fullness of God's peace in our heart um, and bringing sanctification of the soul. Uh, Verse 10, these things were regulations of the body, meaning they weren't able to penetrate to the conscience like the new covenant is, like I I was just saying before. Um, And this was imposed until the time of reformation at the end of the new covenant, meaning um, that the, the current time that is spoken about in this chapter is talking about um, the time before Christ or uh, the way before uh, Christ's covenant. And then the time of reformation is uh, the new covenant. Yeah. And it's so important to really grasp what's happening here. Um, The Hebrews, these Jewish people were only able to access God through the priest and in this tabernacle. The priest had to make offerings and atonement for the people's sins, and including including his own. The high priest was the only one who could talk to God. And, you know, just, just take a second, and um, if you're not driving, close your eyes and just imagine with me just that for a second, like never being able to talk to God for yourself and never and then having to go to a priest to make atonement for you. You know, what if you were only able to access God through a priest and at that specific place? And the good news is that that's not how it works for us anymore. Jesus brings the new covenant. 
He brings ultimate salvation and wonderful personal access to God. And and now we're going to break down the other half of Hebrews 9 that explains how Christ does this for us. Yeah. So starting in uh, verse 11 is where uh, the writer of Hebrews starts to break down the contrast that we just spoke about of the new versus the old. So uh, I'm going to break down verses 11 and 12 and um it's going to be kind of a jumping back and forth now where there's a lot of verses that are like the verse cuts off in the middle of a sentence. Um, and so if you hear us referencing multiple verses in one commentary here, it's because it's one sentence and it's really hard to comment on something that's one sentence. I'm not putting it together. So anyways, I just want to put that out there. But the role of the high priest is explained well in Hebrews 5 uh, verses 1 through 10 which I encourage you to go and read. But to summarize, he is appointed the role and his job is to act on the behalf of the men in relation to God. He offers gifts and sacrifices for their sins, but because he is also a man himself that is not without blemish, he has to continually offer sacrifices for himself as well. It shows that Christ was also like Aaron uh, he was appointed as high priest, but unlike Aaron, uh, he was appointed forever after the order of Melchizedek, which is found in Psalms uh, chapter 110, verse 4. So definitely go and check that out. That's what uh, this portion of Hebrews is referencing in uh, chapter 5. The greater and more perfect tent spoken about here that was not made of hand uh not made with hands refers to the area immediately surrounding God's very presence in heaven not a literal tabernacle as spoken above or spoken about um but a but this this presence uh the the divinity uh, around God uh this action of going into the most holy place before God was done once for all by his own blood, meaning that the sacrifice does not need to be repeated like it was annually in the old covenant because it was done by Christ's blood, which the perfect sacrifice, not like goats or calves. He now continues in the holy place at the right hand of the father where he reigns because he was the perfect sacrifice. We have an eternal redemption through this one and for all atonement. Uh, verses 13 and 14, if there, if these sacrifices that were given in the old covenant sanctified the believers and purified them, then how much more will the blood of Christ, who was without any blemish, without any sin, who by the help of the Holy Spirit offered himself up, meaning that he is not only the high priest interceding for our sins, but he is also the sacrifice that was offered. This sacrifice did what others weren't able to do, which was to purify our conscience of our dead works. His sacrifice penetrates our innermost being, uh, which you can cross-reference to chapter 10, uh, verses, verse 22. Let's go into verse 15. And um, the first word here that I wanted to talk about was mediator. And Strong's definition is one who intervenes between two, either in order to make or restore peace and friendship or to form a compact 
for or for ratifying, which means making official, a covenant. Jesus is a mediator for the covenant between God and the whole human race. This is in contrast to Moses being the mediator for the covenant made between God and the Israelites. Now, the new covenant here is the promise made to all of humankind, first to the Jew and then to the Gentiles, which includes all other people groups. And you can see this in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, which is cross-referenced in Hebrews 8, 8 through 12, which mentions this covenant. Now, the internal inheritance mentioned here is the everlasting blessedness of the completed kingdom of God. 1 Peter 1.4 describes this inheritance as to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. And Revelation 21.3-4 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Now, death that redeems refers to Jesus's death on the cross, which liberates the called, since that death paid the ransom owed to God due to the sins of the people. Yeah, in verses 16 through 18, the word will is translated as covenant in other translations to mean the last disposition which one makes of his earthly possessions after his death. Therefore, the new covenant could not be enacted without Jesus's death. Even the old covenant required blood, as we see in the next four verses, which verses 19 through 22, you can see this discussed in Exodus 24, 8, which says, And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with to all these words. Also, if you read through Leviticus, you will see how every sin sacrifice required the shedding of the blood. In verse 23, the Hebrews author says, though there are some, uh, though there are some, let's try this again. In this verse 23, the Hebrews author goes back to what was said above. Uh, specifically about uh, the copies of the heavenly places. Um, There is a bit of speculation that we're not going to go into uh, today that you're welcome to look into um, about the sprinkling of blood over the, uh, the, the things. So like the tent and things like that. Uh, But as far as we can tell, there isn't a direct relation or correlation um, in the old Testament of where uh, that was being done for the sake of the sacrifices. Um, please, if we're wrong and, and, and you find that, let us know. We want we want to know and we want to make sure that we're doing this right. But I just wanted to bring that up because uh, different scholars do uh, talk about this a little bit and that maybe he's just bringing up um, essentially things that were done in other ceremonies uh, during that time. Anyways, uh, the copies of the heavenly places uh, that we see in the holy places or in the holy place uh, needed to be cleansed and purified by blood. 
as said above, so also does the heavenly places itself needs to be purified through a greater sacrifice, which is the blood of Christ. Verse 24, this is kind of another way of saying that we uh, that was said earlier in the chapter that Christ went into the Holy of Holies that was not made by hands like the copies, but the true heavenly places that the earthly tabernacle was modeled after. He said he did this on our behalf for our sin as he was perfect and blameless. Uh, going to verse 25 and 26, Christ did not do this repeatedly like the high priest of the times past had to do uh, because if he did, then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the beginning of time. Instead, he appeared at the end of ages. Uh, and this is in uh, reference to the fact that the present age is the last um, is the last days, which is cross-reference from uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Unlike the high priest of old, he sacrificed himself as he is the high priest and the lamb. So he's both the high priest and the sacrificial lamb. Uh, verse 27 and 28. Uh, the awesome thing about verse 27 is that it refutes very simply the idea of reincarnation or any chance to come to believe after death before judgment. We all die once, uh, which started back in Genesis where God put a curse on mankind because of sin. And after that, there is judgment. Um, and in talking about the curse is in Genesis uh, 3.19. In verse 28, we see it is said that Christ was offered once for sin that we talked about earlier. He is coming back again, but he isn't coming back as a sacrifice because he already did that once for all. He is coming back on judgment day and he will save those who eagerly wait for him, uh, which are all the believers. We are then taken home to be with him and to worship for eternity. I want to read to you a quote from St. Krill, who, um, which I, I, want, I hope I'm saying his name correctly, but uh, he was from Jerusalem and he was a theologian of the early church. Um, and this helps to summarize what we see and what's so great about this connection of the rituals spoken about in the first part of the chapter and how Jesus correlates to these things. Uh, so I'm going to read this quote from him. He said, Although Christ be but one, yet he is understood by us under a variety of forms. He is the tabernacle on account of the human body in which he dwelt. He is the table because he is our bread of life. He is the ark because the law of God in enclosed within because he is the word of the father. He is the candlestick because he is our spiritual light. He is the altar of incense because he is the sweet smelling odor of sanctification. He is the altar of burnt offering because he is the victim by death on the cross for the sins of the whole world. I think that quote is so beautiful. Um, I think it wraps up what we have talked about so far so well. And I just wanted to mention a few things that I have been learning as we've been studying this. Um, Austin and I, personally and collectively study the Bible very often. 
And um, this would not be my first time reading Hebrews 9, but as we've been studying this, I think it has just come alive in a way that I had not seen before. And, you know, in the, in the same time that we're studying this, I have been going, we have both been going chronologically through the Bible, and we've also happened to be walking through parts of Leviticus and just, um, you know, just the Old Testament in general. And as I'm reading this, and you know, I'm looking at Leviticus and I'm seeing God give all these laws. And at the end of every law, he, he says, I am God. Um, and it's just reminding the people like, I am holy. I am set apart. This is my standard. And, and if you really look at the law and, and you listen to our, our last episode, you recognize that these people, including ourselves, we cannot live up to that holiness and, and seeing like, again, like I mentioned earlier, like the only access that they had to God was to go through a priest. And, and as we read the second part and seeing like Jesus has given us that access, like he is the high priest and he is seated at the right hand of the father interceding for us, praying for us and that, and he keeps us and he has given us faith and he, and because of his sacrifice that was once and for all, we now have the ability to have this relationship with God. And I've just been thinking about this week. It's like, I am not holy as God is. And without Jesus, there's no personal access. And, and it's just like, knowing that I have Jesus and, and I'm on this side of the, the covenants that it is just so beautiful. It makes me love God more. It makes me appreciate the grace that Jesus has given us more. And I think that's the point of, of why we're sharing this and a part of that. And, you know, as we're just talking about freedom in Christ, like you have the freedom to actually enter the throne room of of God with boldness. Like you have the freedom to pray. You have the freedom to worship. You have the freedom to excitedly go into church and praise and worship, which as Austin mentioned, those high priests were not going in there. Oh, yay, I get to meet with my father. No, they were going in there. Please don't kill me today. I, I just want to make atonement for the sins of the people that, that, he was appointed to serve. Like, just think about that. Like that, he didn't do that by choice. Like he was appointed to serve them and he had to risk his life yearly where, where Jesus, you know, he chose that path and, um, and he freely gave his life. No one took it from him. And, um, we're, I, I'm personally just so thankful for that. And it's just made me appreciate the grace of God so much more. And I hope as um, you guys are listening to us, I know we kind of went through this a little quickly, like a lot of information. I, I encourage you to listen to it again. And, and when you have time to press pause and, and reread those verses as we're explaining them and just let this um, rest in your heart, the access that we have to God because of Jesus. For sure. Um, I do want to clarify uh, something too, is just, um, he was, uh, just to kind of clarify what you mean um, too, is that, I mean, he was appointed obviously as a high priest, but he did give himself um, 
for sacrifice. You're meaning um, Jesus? Jesus, yeah. Yeah, so he was still appointed um, as a high priest, but I, I I saw what you meant. I just wanted to make sure to make that clear for the listener who maybe might not know that um, because I think that's important too, as we see um, about about what it is to be high priest. Um, but I, I, what you said is really good though because it, it's just, man, I... I don't even want to just, I just want to echo kind of what you said because you said it so well, but um, I've never, until studying for this episode, studied uh, this book like this um, and really gotten what we spoke on today. Um, this has changed my life because it helps to correlate something that I already knew, uh, but that God, essentially that God has orchestrated this whole account of scripture to tell the story of Christ the Old Testament and the law, as well as the ceremonies and sacrifices that had to be made um, help to better understand the nature of Christ and who he truly is. Um, this book and specifically chapters uh, 7 through 10 really drive this idea of our freedom in Christ from the Old Covenant. And I think that, um, I think the whole book does that, but it's, it's, it's crazy to me because it's like I can now even though, like I said, I already knew this, but it's like, I can see it written out. It's like, man, like every single item, um, like the old Testament is just the story of Christ. Um, as the new Testament is like the, the old Testament is the story of who Christ is. Um, in the new Testament is the story of what he did. Um, it's like, and, and I know a lot of times people, and, and if you're one of these people, I encourage you to listen to this again and as well, just really pray on this. It's like understanding that um, people think that there's a different God in the Old Testament than the New Testament. Sometimes people think that, or sometimes people think that Jesus isn't in the Old Testament um, because, you know, they know about the gospels and stuff like that. And I think that's an argument that's said um, among Christians. And I've heard that argument many times, but this just shows you how much Jesus is truly involved in the entire story of the scripture. Um, from very beginning to very end, um, it's been orchestrated in a way that Christ was always going to have to come to be the once for all sacrifice, the all sufficient sacrifice, the all sufficient high priest. Um, and it all led up to this, which is like why it's so crazy to me that people didn't see all these things and just like fall flat on their face. Like every single person who lived in this time. Um, of course we are blinded by our sin. Um, and we probably would have been in the same boat. Um, we definitely would have been, but it's, it's just crazy. Um, and it helps me have a new appreciation. Like you said, we want to also remind you that we can only speak on these things because of the grace of God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. We are not perfect in ourselves, but are made new creations through him. And this is how we are able to live out his calling on our lives. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them.
Thank you so much for listening. For more information about this episode, check out our show notes, which now includes links to all of the scriptures referenced and read. So you can look it up while you're listening. Or you can also check out our website, wearethedares.com. And if you like what you heard, click to subscribe and follow our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever else you listen to podcasts. If you would like to support us, consider buying us a coffee. The link is also in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram at wearethedares for updates and encouragement. If you have any questions you want us to answer or topics you want us to talk about, uh, especially on the aspect of freedom in Christ, please leave us a voice, a voicemail or a text at 407-476-3434. That's 407-476-3434. Also be in the show notes. Thanks again for listening to the Darrow's podcast. Catch you in the next episode where we'll discuss the new covenant and the law of Christ. See ya.